0: Welcome to the Westside Barbell Podcast. Today's guest is Bobby Khalil. Bobby is the Director of Performance at the Spire Center. Bobby, pleasure to have you here. Thanks a lot. Pleasure to be here. I'd like to start a little bit differently in that, what's it like being the Director of Performance at Spire? It's been a journey. It's
1: uh, That's a good place to start. Uh, yeah. It's been about seven months, and it's, uh, so everyone understands Spire is this massive, like, like seven, I'm going to screw it up, but it's 715,000 square feet of indoor space of like pretty much sports performance. And with arguably three pools, one an Olympic-sized pool, two a rec pool, and three like these like, like therapy pools that are big, like deep tubs with old like treadmill, uh, like underwater treadmills. water treadmills and cold tubs, hot tubs like it's and it's in Geneva, Ohio Why like was it it's, built so it was this this gentleman uh, Ron Clutter he he created this because he loved and I'm gonna mess this up too so no yeah. no disrespect yeah. but because if it wasn't for him yeah uh, I wouldn't have this position. And so he had this vision to create like this massive international Olympic training center. he was very successful in business apparently. And, but as he built this, you know, it, it looks like it's, I think he put like 110 million into it. Wow. And it just got away from him. Yeah. And then Geneva was stuck with this like, you know, vacant building, half made, uh, a lot of great events went there. And then uh, a few years back, a gentleman came on in, uh, Jonathan, and he just took this thing over, bought it at a fraction of the price and believed in this concept and vision of wanting to make this a, uh, like an IMG, this academy. uh, At the same time, take advantage of what was there and start to provide events and and, and showcase this place and clean it up. He has since purchased, you know, uh, hundreds of more acres of land there. He is building this thing out to where, uh, from energy preservation and and, and, uh, wanting to do like solar fields to- uh, three hotels are coming on site now, and he, we're just growing. And what he's doing is, he's he's allowing this vision to happen there. This crazy in Geneva, Ohio, and so yeah. it's it's great because it's a it's a it's a rebirth of an area. But what it really is is it's going to be this mecca of an indoor and outdoor training facility that
0: is like no other. What's your role? How do you fit into this future? So, I'm this.
1: Everything's performance there, you know, for the most part. There's a school and academy, just so you know. It's a ninth through twelfth grade school and a okay. post grad school. And so we went from 37 people a year ago to 88 people now. Okay. And once we get more housing, it's going to grow. So the I am I organize all the workouts, all the performance. My job is as I sold myself. You know, I try to help them reach their potential mentally, physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and, you know, get them in the right mindset and focus, understand their body. And so, you know, that's what I do. Every day they come in, they have a workout program, and every day they train with their team. In between there, they go to school, 9.30 to
0: 2.30. And is, are these athlete-oriented? So everyone comes in, yes. they're an athlete. What's the end goal for these athletes? Yeah, probably scholarship, scholarships, pros. Yeah.
1: yeah, a lot of Division one athletes. High level, you know, we have 37 international kids. Wow, we have like they're from e- everywhere, Egypt. We had another young lady just come in this week from Trinidad. Uh, they're, they're it, it's amazing, Russia, Germany, like it, it, everywhere, Australia. Yeah, and so it's growing. And next year, we're adding more dorms. And so, what stopped us at 88 this year was our housing, we didn't have enough. So, now next year, we're allowed like 160 kids because wow. we'll have more housing. And so, yeah. the goal is to continue to grow up to like 700 kids.
0: Did the young Bobby Cleal ever think this is where he would end up? No. No, the young Bobby
1: Cleal did not. And he believes in and, and and the best part is like you think of director of performance and you I'm blessed because him, we'll get into my background, but it's like everything that I've worked on, I can do at this place now.
0: Yeah. Like
1: it's Spires neutral, meaning we're not affiliated with the college. We're not an OHSAA school. We're this prep academy. So I'm like this neutral location that has every single thing it can offer for every single sport. We don't even have a football team. We've got a massive football field. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, uh, and they want to grow more. You know, he, he wants to put in this one and a half size foot FIFA Olympic trip, soccer field. He wants to build a hockey stadium. Yeah, Like he's, just, he's putting in like a, a few hundred thousand dollar wrestling room right now. And so, and I have the ability to start to do research, methodology, stuff with those who are athletes, stuff with those who just from schools or locations that want to come in. And I don't have any restrictions. Think about it. Like if you're at a university, there's restrictions if you want to do research studies. There's a lot of red tape, this and that. If I want to work and study and train and invite colleges up to try and test and do or to bring high school coaches in, I have no competition with the high school coaches because we're neutral. We're a propagate. We're going all over. This allows for me to now give back in a way of collecting data, offering tested measurements, leveling a playing field for those schools who can't afford stuff, giving them ammunition via, via workouts, via data, via education that they may not be able to afford. Yeah. And now they're loving Spayer. So hopefully they want to come to an event there. Hopefully they want to see and be a part of our vision. And so that's when I explained what I wanted to do with my background, yeah. and with what they have to offer. I mean, it, it makes sense.
0: I think this would be a good time to go to the start and to give people an idea of your background because you've been in the industry for over twenty years. Yeah, about twenty. You've got more degrees than I know. Yeah. Um, but what I want to know is, from the very start, did you always want to get into strength conditioning? Were you an athlete? How were you growing up? So I was a degenerate. I was
1: a like I graduated high school with a one point five grade point average, so I wasn't going to go to college. I wasn't. I just went down a real wrong road. And I was getting to a point where like, enough was enough with the parents. You know, my my parents were divorced, but still a great family. And, but I was just lost. And so I applied, I wasn't doing well in school. So I applied for like a three month EMT program, emergency medical technician ambulance. I was okay Mm -hmm. with blood. I thought, you know what, I can handle this. And I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my gosh, all right. Well, I got accepted to go to like this burn unit school in Florida to advance, you know, paramedic, you know, maybe uh, be more of a burn unit specialized, get into it. I liked. I was I was an athlete, you know, I grew yes. up boxing, wrestling, uh, and but I was always ineligible, yeah, and so I couldn't really do it. And so I got down there, and I couldn't speak Spanish. And so I couldn't go to the school. So I was like, oh, geez, what do I do now? I try to come here to change my life, Jeez, you know? And so my grandfather lived down there and he, we trained thoroughbreds. So I ended up moving with him a little bit and trying to figure out what to do. And someone approached me and said, why don't you go to this massage therapy school? It's the second, in the, ranked second in the nation, going to neuromuscular therapy. I'm like, hmm, I'm an EMT, you know? So I went and got a little bartending certificate, became a bartender, applied for school. Ironically, someone just dropped out of the school to sign that, signed up. And this they had this list and I begged this woman. I'm like, I know this is weird, but you know, I'm not supposed to be here. I didn't plan on this, <laughs> yeah. but maybe I did, you know, like one of those. Yeah. And she's like, you sign up right now, you could be in. Sign up right then. Committed to nine months, six months of, uh, Massage therapy school, and then three months of this neuromuscular therapy sports massage. 752 hours later, it's five days a week, six hours a day, I went, took a test, and became a massage therapist. And it was like, holy crap. But in between that time, here's the big picture I was, I moved out of my grandparents, and I moved in with this young lady, and two months in, and I got robbed. I came home. She was gone. Everything was gone in my place. Little note, oh, yeah, by the way, we didn't pay rent. And I, I wasn't dating her. At the time, what you did was they used to look for roommates okay. that you would want. Yeah. And so they they would go through a resume, they do a background check on you. So they did a background check on me. They back, and boom, they just, they they hooked up people and we were in Port Lauderdale, you know. And so you move in with people. Well, I, I they hooked me up with the wrong roommate. Damn. <laughs> and yeah. so I was driving to exercise and I was just broke down. I was like, where am I going with my life? Like, what? You know, because I wasn't, it was right when I was trying to get into massage therapy school. Like it was right when I was like figuring out where am I going to go? And so I go to work out and I see this gentleman there. He's like, hey, come to this Bible study thing. Went down this thing. I became a Christian five, six months later. I cruised through school. I fell in love with it. I instantly graduated. I wanted to get out of Florida. It was not a good experience for them becoming a Christian. I was on a mission. Yeah. Applied for school back in Cleveland, came home, changed my life, got accepted to Baldwin Wallace, uh, went and got my undergrad, uh, and then I applied right to uh, Cleveland State. Went got two master's degrees in one year, and I didn't look back. I I, I just focused. I was I was a new man, and I everything else in life I can't do anything. Tom.
0: Yeah.
1: No, no I'm a stone cold <laughs> idiot, dude. <laughs> yeah. And everything. Else. A lot of people will back that up and and tell you <laughs> I am. I'm blessed to know the body. I'm blessed. And I'm not the smartest science guy either. I am blessed. And, and I made it a mission then to help and give from that point on, if it was going to come to me that easy when I couldn't even pass English or do it, it's amazing to me. And so I made it my lifelong commission mission to just do that. And that's, you know, now I'm here. Yeah. It blows my mind. It literally
0: blows my mind every day. Well, when we met, is that that chunk in the middle, wasn't your average chunk either? Like, how did you, so get your degree, and how did you end up? Because we met a strong style. For those of you yeah. who don't know, what was the journey to strong style?
1: So great story. Well, yeah, you know, that's how I lost my hair. I think this whole this <laughs> part of it. And so, I built up my business from 1999 up until 2007 mm-hmm. eight. I had 11 trainers. I, I I I what I did is I took a philosophy of. The holistic approach of like health and wellness, Mm -hmm. the massage therapy approach, the neuromuscular approach. And I mixed it with the scientific approach of what I exercise science, you know, and uh, I just tried different things and opened up. Well, I ended up in 2007, eight after moving. I grew my gym about five times we moved. And the sixth one, I moved into like my dream gym, 2008. Had 11 trainers working for me, we were rolling. 20,000 square feet, had a boxing ring. That's how I ended up meeting Sean uh, Sean Porter and that started my journey. And uh, I I was developing a cancer program. I was working with people who were sick, terminally ill cancer patients, and it was like, I just did a a medical-based research study with uh, six to 16-year-old cancer kids, post-therapeutic cancer kids, uh, I mean, post-chemo cancer patients from Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital. And we were doing this on a program I wrote on heart rate training and we had amazing results. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm on to something. And I was, uh, on this mission to build all these programs and to be able to, you know, I, I always believed that movement can heal anything. And it was just one of those and good energy can heal anything. And so it was, I was going down the road 2008 came. Well, I just gambled all my money in this 20,000 square foot space with all this stuff. I started my programs. I started my, uh, I, we started our corporate wellness program and we were working with different companies. It was amazing. Yeah. And then 2008, the economy slammed down. Lost everything one year later. Shut our gym down, we lost all of our school contracts because there was nothing. No one was doing personal training. All of our school contracts were done. Our corporate wellness was done because uh, no one was doing everything. There was businesses being laid off left and right. And so uh, I went bankrupt and it was like, oh my gosh. But it dawned on me as I was going through that year and I was begging and pleading for money and I was looking for ways to make more and I was losing trainers because I couldn't really pay because they were losing training money. Yeah. They were going to get real jobs. You know, it. my faith kept saying, deal with the scars. You got to stay. This is part of the mission. And I couldn't accept it. Every day for 22 years, I get up and four 15, four 30 in the morning and get to work by five. And I hate it, but it's a mission. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I hate, it. but it's a blessing. You know what, you know, because I'm lucky to have a job at work. And so it flipping dawned on me that all these people are losing their jobs. All these people, I'm hearing stories and their story from my clients who their, their husbands are losing their jobs and what are they going to do? And th- their businesses are closing down. And it's like, and I'm losing everything at the time, but I'm they're there for me, so I'm supposed to say motivated yeah. and keep them fired up. And it out of nowhere, I shut everything down, and in a weird, crazy way, my wife will not agree with this. It was it was hard, you know, from from a marriage perspective, from a relational perspective, gambling, all this stuff, and doing stuff where, without her even knowing, as I grew this twenty thousand square foot gym,
0: yeah.
1: but you know, and, and I was getting head headhunted to go get other jobs to get out of the market, Bobby, go, you know, but I couldn't, I, I something kept telling me, you now have this scar, you have this, you, you went through this 1.5 grade point average and proved yourself wrong and, 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 and got these degrees and cert- all these certifications. Now you, now you help all these people with the cancers and you work with these people, these athletes, with Sean Porter, where I was going with it. And Maybe now you, you're, you're starting to talk corporate wellness, but do you know stress? Do you, can you really relate to stress? You need to feel this pain. You need to lose everything. You need to, to truly see if you're gonna be a man. Can you come back from adversity? Can you persevere? Can you keep your dreams going? You helped all these people. You're not the screw up Bobby Khalil why the economy went down. No, this is something you have to deal with and go through in order to be the person that you dream you can come. And that's what I did. I pursued, I pushed through it. A blessing to this day. A gym closed. So did mine. They left everything in there. We got a phone call. We moved in and opened up Health360. And I slowly built it up. I I, uh, had other partners I brought in then. And we slowly worked its way up. And I was on a mission, though, to change my life, though. Like, I was more than just a gym at that time then. Yeah. I realized that I had to... Pursue something. I had to, I had to grow this to where I didn't want to lose it again. Software, technology, and so it's 2012. It's two. I lost everything. Nine ten. I'm starting to grow back. Ten eleven. Health 360. And at the time I did, remember I said I did that medical based research study earlier. I applied for this patent, and i it was in heart rate training, and I. Created a program where if you stay in your heart rate range a certain amount of time, you know, for over 30 minutes, you know, and we did a uh, research study, we got statistically significant results. And we hired an outside company to do it on like 14 areas, and yeah. so from blood pressure to this to that, and I was like, holy crap, I I, I think I'm kind of onto something, but so I applied for a patent because I realized how can I get the heart rate onto a screen? And you couldn't do that with video technology. And how do I change a program for someone who, if I'm going to corporate wellness and working with these groups and I got six truck drivers, well, they're all different. So they might have the same corporate wellness program, but it doesn't mean they have the same exercise program. And so I had to adjust that all, but I couldn't do it with videos. So I started looking into avatar technology. I applied for this patent. I have 12 patents now in avatar-guided technology, incorporating any Bluetooth-enabled device. And we're in a process of growing this whole software side of it. But during that time, then, I've been pursuing this dream, slowly working with different corporate wellness programs, consulting and working with different companies and groups, and trying to build up this, trying at the same time to build this software program to support all Mm -hmm. of this finally, well, no one in Cleveland believes in avatar guided. And when I say the word avatar to people in Cleveland, they're like, you got have a third eye on your head. What <laughs> the hell are you freaking talking about? You know, it's not a technology, you know, from 12, 13, 14. It isn't this big mecca of mm-hmm. technology. And so uh, it was hard for people to believe. And so I kept getting kind of laughed off the stage at events. Like this will never happen. There'll never be avatar guided personal training or avatar guided this and that. You won't connect a heart rate monitor and So I just accepted it, but didn't give up. Yeah. And so now these patents are finally coming to fruition. And so hopefully, you know, the goal is that the world is gonna start to see that there is a vision for this thing and there can be something special made. And so I've been building that. Well, at the same time, I started working with more military tactical. I applied to become a government contracted employee. uh, And I ended up getting a contract with the Cleveland FBI. And now I work with the uh, FBI hostage rescue team in Quantico, Virginia. And so it's, it's been since 2010, after losing everything or er, nine, 10, and coming back, it's been this same mission, trying to incorporate it a different way to, 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 give it to more and more people out there to, to benefit from. And, uh, all of a sudden, seven, eight months ago, I got a phone call to, uh, Hey, we, we need to find a strength coach. Can you help us out, Bobby? I'm like, yeah, let me uh, come on out and interview. Let me, let me help you find someone.
0: Yeah.
1: And I get and they're like, hey, we would have our director of performance do this, but we really don't have one of those either. I'm like, well, I'm looking to build up the software and find the right partner and grow it from there. I have nothing going on right now. Maybe I'll interview. But here's what I see with this vision. Here's what I think can happen here. Let me, I got nothing to lose. Yeah. Let me throw it out at it. Six hours worth of interviewing later, a couple weeks, and they said, hey, you want this job? So that's where I'm at.
0: There's so much to pick
1: because <laughs> we went steep, Bay and strong style. Yeah. You know what made you know in 2013, 14. Uh, I, I, I want to jump back because this is a big part of this. Is I met Marcus. How,
0: how did you end up in Cleveland? I've been in Cleveland my whole life. So, but uh, so you, when you came back, you moved back and I moved then back, back home, to, uh, and that's where you set up your business. Correct. Um, before we to that as a side, did you? Is this work ethic and all these different avenues? Your nonstop effort to never be caught in that position again to where you have one stream of revenue or one business. Yes. Is that the main motivation factor for it?
1: I don't want one one shot to sink my ship. Yeah. I don't. And and I just believe I have more to give with the relationships I have now that and I and I believe in the sharing approach. So, you know, it it just I sleep better at night with that mindset. The
0: cancer. Uh, patient's research you did. Mm-hmm. How did that come about?
1: Uh, so we went and met with uh, a couple doctors from university hospitals. Uh, Amanda Weiss-Kelly and, uh, shoot. I got to know the name because it's insulting if I don't. Anyways, I'll figure it out. Two doctors from, and they introduced me to Dr. Latterio, head of Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital at the time. We went in there, we had an idea, and he's like, I got some people for you, and we ended up doing a twelve-week study with them.
0: And where did the idea, like, where
1: did that come from? Was that just? It was from the corporate wellness program that I created with the heart rate monitor training and the adults. I wanted to try it with kids, with sick kids. Yeah. And what do you have to lose if you're if you're sick like that? Why, why not try to get you moving and up and out of that hospital bed? Why not find something? And that's what he wanted. He wished we he had something, you know. And, and he wished he had something to exercise the kids in the hospital while they're going through chemo. Yeah, you know, and so, and, and because again, at the time when I was going to school for massage therapy and going to uh, sports med at Baldwin Wallace and through Cleveland State, like I was learning about this cancer welfare program out of California, and I was in love with it because of the the, the mindset of breathing and exercise and energy. But no one ever talked about exercise, and and and, and not about exercise of truly ripping up the muscle, but yes, you. When you do rip up the muscle and you put nutrients in it, it's going to rebuild and grow and get stronger. So what if we could slightly tax it and pump massive blood flow through there with nutrients and force feed them food when they're going through chemo? And it it works. It worked.
0: What were your objectives and then how... The results reflect that. So
1: the 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 whole objective was to hope that everyone got through. There was only like eight kids, I believe, if I remember at the time, and I think six people finished, and uh, two of the kids got mainstream back in their sport one year previous than what was expected, uh, and it was uh, one young lady didn't do so well, and uh, it was she was she she was going blind and did uh, so she had some problems and had to leave. The and the one young man who was in the program for years, it was the greatest result because he was around kids and hanging out and got to participate, and it was something he was never able to do. Yeah. And those were the simple results: was the joy, the happiness, the fact that they could do it, the confidence we gave them, and to me, that was my victory. So.
0: Then did this set up um, how? Patients were treated. Following up from that, what came from that? So
1: it was seven, eight, eight, nine, and so then I started losing. Yeah. So that kind of put it on pause. And then I went back, and you know, you know, the, the greatest story is the, you know the saddest one sometimes. But like Mary Buell and Connie Waxman are, are are my stories of people who, you know, all I would do like people would get sick, I'd go, I'd stretch, massage them, work them out with rubber bands, boom, 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 you know, get them healthy again, and move on to the next, you know, and. I think the biggest testament is to Connie Waxman, who was diagnosed with cancer and, you know, clinic didn't want to do anything with her. They gave her like a two to 4% chance of pancreatic cancer to survive. And Neil and her were like my best friends. I trained their kids. And I said, let me just try some stuff. Seven years later, she did pass, but it was seven amazing years. of, and I want to get emotional because it, it, those are defining characteristics. Those are the, those are the, the the tears those are the, the 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 joys of, you know, she was happy to get one year. She was told they weren't they couldn't do this that and the other. And we were and and, and what made it so amazing was that the, her husband and kids were so relentless on their mindset of trying new medicine, yep. getting out there and doing holistic stuff. Well, at the same time, I was dealing with a woman named Mary Buell. She passed at thirty four. Again, an amazing young lady who trained with me for years came down with this, but she met someone, uh, Derek, her husband, and she was sick and didn't know if they were going to be able to have kids, this or that. We ended up fighting through things. She ended up getting going into remission, getting pregnant, having a baby, healthy kid now. You know, unfortunately she passed, but that's her victory. Like she had a baby, she had a boy, she left a legacy. Like that's as hard as it's to talk about. It's like those forget the athletes. You know what I mean? Those are the stories. That's the motivating factor. And so when you see that at that level, all it does, Tom, is guide me. Every time I sit and talk to people, it eliminates the excuse of what they're going to say to me. You're not going to give me an excuse when I see and work with people who die while I'm laying with them and, and And for years, they fought so hard over the simplest, littlest things to hope to breathe one more day. And that was awesome for them, you know, or to give them a little more feeling to know that they're not going to throw up after they get this next freaking chemo thing, you know, and worry about how they look in the mirror with all that. You're going to sit there and tell me you can't make a workout. You're going to tell me something. This little thing hurts or that. You're going to try to make excuses why you want to be here. Forget it. Yeah. It made my life so much easier in the way that I presented myself to adults, to groups, to executives out there, to family members, to spouses, to others. It. It was, it, 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 it truly changed. It is the critical piece of a puzzle of my life. If it wasn't for Connie and Mary, it, I, I wouldn't tell the same story, maybe, yeah. you know, but yeah.
0: How did this segue into, so you went from, you had this, the economy went down, down yeah. the whole, then you saw an opportunity, you realize that you could handle stress. That you you well you change your mind on how you approached right. dealing with stress. Um, you set up three hundred and sixty. Correct. Then Sean Porter was one of the first athletes comes in. Yep. Then where did the bridge come across to strong style?
1: Sure. Great question. So Sean was right before we shut down, and uh, at the old gym. That's how I meant. Cause we had a boxing ring there, mm-hmm. so they came in with Joey Dell guiding them, and it was great. Uh, and then. It, I continued to train Sean physically and then they would go spar strong style. I met Marcus years earlier accidentally because I I put, uh, I went and introduced myself when he had Dick Tracy's studio, this uh, karate studio or a martial arts studio. And I went and met him not knowing him. Yeah. But we left on good terms. like, hey, if you need any help, I'm around. He's like, "Ah, I'm pretty good right now. I'll be up there. He's like, hey, great. You know, I don't, but thank you. Uh, I walk in there. I meet him. And... Uh, someone reached out to me while I was training Sean and said, you know, why don't you uh, work with Stipe? He hurt his back, you know, maybe there's a way." And I said, well, let me just ask Marcus. How's that sound? I went and met Marcus. We had uh, a great heart to heart. You know, he's, uh, you know, his mindset, you know, Marcus Marinelli is a, you know, self-made hard nosed, uh, you know, it's, it's about the work you put in, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He's not looking for you to give approval. He's going to prove it. He's going to show you. And so, his whole point was, you want to come here. We're not competitors. Your gym's way over there. Help out my guys. You make a deal and help me out, and in return, let's see how this goes. And you know, I gave him. I opened up to every type of training. I, I, I threw it on the table because I loved his philosophy about hard work and no excuses. You know what I mean? And and laid on the table. And and there's no lies. There's no deception. Look me in the eyes when you're talking to me. Type of an approach. Yeah is in some areas where I was a little weak. He gave me the competence to open it up. I then gave him everything I believed in from agility, quickness, reaction, and my fully simple philosophies. And we, he started teaching me the conjugate approach. He started teaching me the methodologies that he learned. He, and it allowed me, you know, his mindset and his background, his relationship to see the way that he trains. And it, we put two brains together And we started producing some really, really, really solid athletes. Mm -hmm. And it was all based on Mm -hmm. a trust in the beginning, because he was burnt, a few times I was. And, but we, again, as he said, Mm -hmm. just lay lay all the cards on the table, no secrets. Perfect. That's how I like it. And it worked out ever since. It's been, look at it, a brotherhood Mm now.
0: Oh, it's, (laughs) at the very least. Yeah. What was it like working with MMA athletes? Or what is it, sorry, not, what was it, what is it like working with MMA athletes?
1: Wrestlers, MMA, boxers, uh, all a little different, but all the same. You know, it's a one-on-one sport, you know, mono-e-mono type, and it's, it's, it's super fulfilling, but it's such a, sport that is so, I mean, think about it. We're training them to stay alive. We're training them to get this victory there. Look at the pay they get. Look at the hours they're in the gym. they you know, what I have found is that these athletes, some of these, when you get to that level, you know, you're a specimen, you're an athlete, you're, you're the, you're the one percenters, you're the, you know what yeah. I mean? And... I have found that it has to be an individualized program more so than anything, because from day to day, to week to week, you could have a training program for twelve weeks. It is not going to be the same from day to day. Yeah. It's we have a uh, an overall plan, but from the warming up to the stretching out to the aches and pains to the diet and the weight loss when the camp goes on longer, if you're not a heavyweight, you know, to all of that, it's it's so hard. But you. You get to appreciate the pain that they're enduring at such a greater level because it is, think about MMA, you know, from submissions to striking to stand up to wrestling and ground and pound and to, you know, being able to breathe and and again, lose the weight as you do this and try to stay healthy. It's tough to train, but I think it's only so many people can do it. I think it's a certain personality that can deal with
0: yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, we've talked about this off camera, but I want to touch on that MMA is close to both our hearts because of the athletes, not because of the training, because of everything else that's not strength conditioning, right. right? And it was the one sport that I figured out that we're a tiny cog. We're important, but we're not just the cog. Yeah. But because of the position we're in, we are actually getting more access to... To every other aspect of this sport right um how has your training evolved knowing and we'll give context just say someone who's a pro fighter everyone aspires to be in a pro organization whether it's UFC whether yeah, it's Bellator, <laughs> Bellator VFL, it, right. yep. um knowing all the other stuff you do now in terms of when you turn up for fight week, you've got to cut weight, you've got media obligations, you've got. Do you strategize for this in your fight camp, or when you lead up to fight camp? How has all that evolved?
1: Yeah, it, big time. It's it's that's where performance comes in. That's where mm-hmm. I feel I, why I I feel I'm a big piece of it now, where performance coaches are, because you're a performance coach. And again, if you, uh, what's the definition of performance? You know, I I don't know a lot of probably five different ones, but again, mentally, are you emotionally, with stress and life and family and friends and everything else? Physically, are we doing not just strength training when you think physically, are you doing the appropriate training to support the body internally, externally, you know, from joints to muscles to your, you know, your on and on, you know, and, you know, how do you throw a certain phase in there? Is there such a thing as a, a, a type of training phase? But then you go to nutritionally, you know, and how much are you overloading certain nutrients based on the intensity of the day? How much, are they, what vitamins at what point, you know? And then when you start to cut all that stuff, you know, you keep to try to keep the nutrients in and make it more dense as the camp gets closer because you got to cut the weight, you know? And, and then the water. And so performance coaches, I, again- I think they're the middle. I think there's a the central. The head coach is the key. Mm-hmm. He's the one making those decisions, doing all that. But the more that a head coach can rely on the performance coach, you know, to support the what he does before, what he does in the middle, what he does after his training is over with, I, I think the the more fine-tuned of a machine that person can be.
0: Do you think the performance coach is towards the final evolution? of a strength conditioning coach that that's a natural progression that they should aim for rather than just been focused on one area.
1: I I do. I think, and I maybe, you know, I guess I look at the performance coach as that strength coach. I look at them as, you know, because you're, 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 you're dealing with like, say for example, basketball, you could find a strength coach for basketball specific to the sport for what it does. How do you, you know, performance coach for MMA, is a little bit different because again, it's you're 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 taxing the body in all different arts and, and, and in all different ways. You're still burning the same. Okay, arguably, am I am I lessening basketball? Not at all. Please don't make any mistake for that. I just look at. I think performance coach. I think people. I think strength coaches. I I, I guess I don't use the name, the way I think. It. I think you are a performance coach more so now than a strength coach. It's not just about the strength. Yeah. Of the it's the resiliency, it's the joint integrity. Whatever you wanna, but it's it's more so than just strength, I guess. So I, I guess I look at it as performance is the a piece of the strength coach.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, or strength is a piece of the performance coach. coach. Yeah. Which makes sense to me because when I first got into strength conditioning, no one wanted to be in it. It was not a glamorous job. Like right. you, like four o'clock starts, that's right. that's just average. And then your internships really dictated how you're going to end up. You, exactly. could, you could normally tell where someone interned from based on how they acted, how they ran a weight room, what machines they want in their right. weight room. And now we're in an age, which is, it's strange times that there's overlap between You're a trainer, you're a personal trainer, you're a strength influencer, you're a strength conditioning coach. Right. Um, CSCS or CSCS used to be the be all and end all. Right. Now there's so many things. And um, that the term performance coach is popping up more and it's popping up more towards people that I'm like, oh, you have a lot of credibility because you have a lot of experience. Mm. Uh, I, noticed, I noticed it uh, popping up initially in uh, Formula One and car driving, mm-hmm. because they had a, they have one athlete. Well, they have a team, but each athlete's dedicated to performance coach who needs to do everything that you just said. It's not just physical training; right. it's mental training. It's basically how can we make sure your life's as good as possible so you can be the best driver you can. Yeah. And you're like, oh, and then COVID happened. I think a lot of pro athletes started feeling, well, we need someone to help us because we don't have the team. We don't have our own gym set That's up. Good. And then you're like, now each, if you're an athlete making millions of dollars and you don't have your own coach, right? it make, doesn't make sense. You just sense. do, you have one. Yeah. And, it's, uh, and you can see the way agents are, are changing how contracts are made that hmm. you're not just locked into a team. You can actually have your own performance because it benefits everybody. Sure. Because it goes back to uh, individualization. Yeah. You have to be trained as if you're, well, the individual you are, not part of a team. Because when you work with people, if you've got 20 or 30 people, you're training for the general good. Right. It's impossible to do the specifics. Right. And I think once you learn how to work with specifics, it's easier to branch off the general rather than the way around. Because you, th- you can see people who are unbelievable working with 50 people. Yep. You give them five, they have no idea what to do. Right. Because there's so much more data coming in. Right. Um. What have been some of the biggest changes in the industry you've seen over the past 20 years?
1: Huh. Well, you know, I I, I look back at, you know, I guess it's sometimes I get a little, uh, as you get older, I sometimes, I, I find myself sometimes second guessing yeah. as I look the new versus the old. And so I, I like to look back at old videos I have. And what I think is, what I think, made me the trainer I was to get the followers and the, and the backing that I had was the uniqueness and the approach to be open-minded to any type of training and to believe that the body has all these stimuluses. And and so, and, and having the background I did with, you know, to get to that point, it, it, it was, it made it fairly easy. What I, what I see changing now is you're having more of like Technology is really coming into the equation Mm -hmm. here, but you're seeing more like sled pulling. You know, there was a time where it was a bodybuilding type of a world as I was coming into it. Power lifting was huge, but it was separate. They were like on, you know, two different sides of the equation, you know, as they should be, you know, and you didn't see a lot of this cross-training types of type of a discipline Mm -hmm. you see a massive amount of it now you know when you look at the example of a crossfit type of an approach where you know you're taxing the body you know cardiovascular wise and lactic acid wise and you know you're hitting all the cylinders there yeah you know i think that's where it's you know really has come and now when you can attach technology to it yeah you know you really are you're that's where i think you're going to start to see philosophies coming true that maybe once were disputed or argued or were thought to be great when maybe not they aren't so you know they're not so great now so i think you're seeing a lot of you know there's you know people say you know there's there's a lot of new theories coming out there i think there's just a lot of theories that have been adjusted yeah. you know and, and and massaged you know like a little bit you know they're a piece of clay that have been molded differently and I think that you're gonna that that the change is going to be the technology is going to prove or disprove some of the theories or methodologies mm-hmm. or approaches that have been out there for so long
0: it's uh, has to be noted too that it's such a new industry so new like since 76 is when information started really come mainstream and you have a lot more people questioning initial, which should be done. It's science, right? You're trying to improve upon everything. But as you said, with, with technology, we got data. And from 76, we got more and more experience. And we'd be idiotic not to look at what everyone else has done and learn from if they made any mistakes, how do we improve upon them? Right. And kind of get to where we're at now, to where, like, there is... They're not seismic shifts, they're more accurate shifts. That's the way I'm looking at it. everything. Right. Everything is getting way more accurate. There's no more guessing. Even when we give general, when we give out content, right, we try to give out content for general, and that's become a more accurate. Right. And it's, um, with being able to give out information, to do podcasts, to do, like, this wasn't a thing. when Same when you were in college, right. like, this wasn't, nope. like, no one podcast, the internet was, We're trying to scroll through stuff. It's nothing like what it is now to gain access. So it's really, there's no excuse not to be on top of the latest uh, information.
1: It's true. Don't don't you think, Tom, like when you look, like you think of how many people that we've learned from. Mm -hmm. Think of all those years ago. And and think of when Louis was doing his research. Think of that. Like, I I guess I, I think I see now, like, there's a lot... People are going to, we're going to see that some people back then were a lot smarter than we oh, even yeah. give some credit to. Yeah. And if it wasn't for their outside thinking, if it wasn't for the trial and error and the scars and, and uh, think of the equipment that's out there now yeah. that that has been emulated or copied in, in the righteous way, some righteous, some not, you get it, uh, where, you know, they started with this machine, now it's morphed to this and to this and to this and to this. And if, if it wasn't for these guys here, you know, yeah. and so I, I think that you're going to see Again, as the technology comes out, I'm hoping you see some of those the grandfathers of, you know, yeah. back then th- coming out in a way like, man, they were
0: geniuses. There, there's more yin to the yang. It went from a lot from academics. And you got to think, Louis, they had the gym in 1972. 1976 is just about when um, oh, uh, Alvin Roy, all these people became strength coaches. So we had... Basically, the, one of the first garage gyms where it was just practical, learn by hard knocks <laughs> right. with your theory. And when you go to college, very rarely is this talked about, yeah. this practical aspect, because um, I'm, I'm not shitting on them, but the ACSM, um, NSCA, NSM, they give great guidelines. But I have met no professional athlete that ever goes four, three, two, one, one, two, right? right. There's, but right. again, it's to give guidelines. And now we're seeing, well, hey, there's more balance. What are these guys doing over here practically? And then Louis kind of pioneered the way of, I'm going to read all this stuff. Yeah. I'm going to talk to all these coaches, all these athletes, get as much information, and then blend it into this system. Yeah. And, and try it with tr- a lot of people. Try, yeah, a lot. Which is
1: the best way to get results, yeah. to see what works and what doesn't.
0: And then we get the benefit from it.
1: Right, exactly. And How many years later?
0: I, I know. Like, right? We got, gotta you know, think, over 40, 50 years. Right. And How many it's, people? Going, it's going to be exciting to see where it's going to be in the next 10 years. Right. Um, the... One thing I wanted to circle back in, Then, what is the importance of mentors in this industry to you? How important was... Any internships, any uh, phone calls, um, any books you've read. How important was that to your journey?
1: Everything, every, like everything. Like for me, going to, I went like seven years in a row to club industry shows, and I, I, I went and studied under every. I was on a mission. That's everything for me. I, I, I want Bobby. I will go to his grave saying I don't want to take any credit. I want to give credit to everyone. I'm just too stupid to remember everyone's freaking names. <laughs> yes. But if it wasn't for me being a sponge to want to learn to try one little thing, you know, it's the only way I learn, too, I will say, is by trial and error. Yeah. If I have to go to a class, I have to take notes or I'm not going to remember with my ADD brain all over the joint. And so it's it, mentors are everything. It, it, good mentors and bad mentors. You learn what you don't want to become. You learn what you don't like, you know, with the ones that are bad mentors. Or maybe are they good? Because they're teaching you. That's what a mentor is there to do, yeah. to teach you what you want to become or to teach you what you want to think about going into or maybe it's going to teach you I don't even want to go down this road I don't want to become like you you know so
0: I think there's so much to mentors so much what what's your approach to work with a person or an athlete do you have a particular way from your experience of you first get introduced to an athlete how do you know how to approach them their training and how to interact with them so that, that's a good
1: question. It, it's, and it's, so for me, I, I, I like to train. I, I always, from an, let's start with an assessment approach. I, I don't always assess everyone. I get groups that come in here. Yeah. And I got, and so like, I'll give the example of, you know, if we had like 12 or 18 kids in this soccer program came over for spire they came in from england or something and so i for me when these groups come in uh and even back in the day i believe in an approach of slow warm-up into like i i like to do more balance and mobility i then flow into an eye hand coordination with balance mobility i then will go into strength movements and in between every movement i always do every single movement they will always do an auxiliary move of a fast switch movement or uh, an eye-hand coordination and balance movement and or a mobility movement, stability movement. And then they'll go back to a main move. And it's been a philosophy that I take. So when I do groups, nothing changes. When I Then when they become our athletes, if they become our athletes, then we'll break them down, have yeah. time to do an assessment. And then in between those sets, like I said, where they would be doing uh, – a functional move, a balance move. They're doing a corrective move, or they're doing a move that was maybe an imbalance yeah. on their on one of their scores, and it's it's how I've trained everyone for all these years.
0: I, I kind of loved you up a curveball without giving you context. So, what I've wanted to know since I've met you is how did you approach Thiepe? Okay. How did you approach like this athlete? In this environment, because it wasn't just Stipe, you have a, a very astute head coach in Marcus who's watching, and he reminds me so much of Louis is that he studies, he watches, everything has to have a purpose, right. and it's, show me what you're going to do, what you have done, there's none of this, like, this is theoretical. Right. How did you approach that situation? So,
1: good question. So, Stipe was when, when I, I, I always, again, looking at the person, like a Stipe, for example, it was he was he he was a broken down. He was an amazing athlete who had, who was broken down. His back was miserable at the time. He could barely kick high. His hamstrings were super tight. So it was a, let me break him down. Let me loosen him up. And then let's see if we can get, let's take a base strength training program to where we moved out of deadlifts. We did more single leg elevated lunging and Bulgarian type squatting with, you know, rear foot elevated like work to where I can work on his range of motion and mobility and stretch him in between every set and then as we, with the goal of trying to loosen up and strengthen at the same time, uh, it was, for Stipe, it was, again, he's, Stipe's personality, so we understand, is he is, when he's committed, there's there's no one like him. He's, he's focused. And so he is stubborn in that approach and so but when you ask him to try something knowing that he wants to get better or it's going to serve a better purpose he was two thousand percent in it was amazing and so marcus and i identified his breakdowns and weaknesses he allowed me to work on those he helped build the strength training program based on taking out you know you know, these bilateral movements into unilateral movements and, you know, individualizing the body parts, but knowing we needed to get the strength and power out of it to keep the strength up. And we uh, and so that was the approach. And that's when then we came here and that's when John, we did, you know. The bottom line is it was being open minded to where Bay was in his career at the time, coming off of a loss, having a, his back being pretty much broke you know, and his, and his hamstrings weak is not turning on and coming here and learning from you and John, we then took, you know, the story I tell is we came here. Remember the, the, the reverse hyper story he did. He couldn't do like oh, yeah, 25s or 45s on the side. He couldn't. John did all this work on him. You had him pumping that hyper and he ended up with 45 and a 25 afterwards and like a hundred and some reps. And it was like the most mind blowing thing. And, you guys helped turn on and create, we needed to find the activators in Steve a. We didn't know where he was turned off mm-hmm. and where he was turned on. And so we took this mindset of trying to heal. We took the mindset of trying to break down and create a strength training program opposite of where his weaknesses were. And then we came and learned from some of the best. And what was it? Six months later, he was. On a rampage. That was it. it was, we never looked back. He took the time, the fight early with, uh, what's his name? And uh, Big Country, whatever he was. Dude. And bam, gone.
0: What, I'm not going to be proud of what I'm going to say at the start. Because when I first met you, I thought you were full of shit. Sure. Not in terms of what you knew, <laughs> in that I've never seen someone who had no ego. Yeah. In that I thought, oh, this is just a show. But then I'm like, he's a Marcus. So like you get your free pass and you're a Marcus right here. Yeah. And then I'm like, I don't think this is for show. Sure. I was talking to John and uh, like, I think this guy, this strength coach, because it's so unusual that you would allow access to an athlete. Usually a lot of coaches are very guarded. Mm-hmm. They don't want to look bad. Right. And not saying we're going to make you look bad, but you are so open to going, actually, what are you guys doing and why? Because you wanted to learn. Yeah. And uh I remember talking with John. I'm like, he trains so different than I do. And then John's like, is that a bad thing? I'm like, I don't think so. Right. And um, that's when we went down to strong style and watch, you're doing stuff. Right. That's when I realized, like, you weren't just doing strength conditioning. You're doing cool. everything. Yeah. And it really changed my perspective And one, how to, to, uh, not never judge people, but how to interpret what necessarily I was used to coaches going, because we had bad experience with coaches where we would actually help athletes. We try to help them. And then they just push it to a side because sure. ego would take over. Yeah. Then you kind of come in with this different approach. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is unusual. Like this, this guy can't be. Right. And, um, kind of set the pace forward especially for me is like oh you have to be more open this is this is the way forward to grow right and uh to see that flourish and then it made sense why Marcus had you guys in but like you kind of you did open my eyes in terms of strength conditioning is not just strength conditioning right and then John opened my eyes because he's a human MRI right? and knows, <laughs> joints, like, no joints. Uh, what I love with John is it starts at the highest level till it comes down, your hips are fucked. Right, right. And, like, I can understand that. We can work from there. Um, but it led to where we're at now is that our goal, specifically like to give context to MMA, is my goal is not to make him bigger, faster, stronger. Our goal of strength and conditioning is to give the maximum opportunity for skill acquisition. The more skill they have, the better they're going to become. And part of skill is less injury, more endurance, more strength. You you need to be strong as necessary, not strong as possible. That's right. And what's amazing is the power of one interaction. So one misjudging of character from my end led to a whole opening of another thing and... uh, this was, I think, close to my year seven or eight, but that was a pivotal point for me in my mentorship with, with uh, Lou's style of mentoring. You're right. Um, but were you come bring them back in? Were you always that open? Like, was. was was the ego always from everything you went through? Was that what yeah. left you open to everything? Yeah.
1: I, 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 yes because I was always humbled in, what, through prayer or through my, you know, something would talk to me. Like I needed to be this way or because I was blessed with these gifts to, to be, to come up with these principles or philosophies and this mindset and be able to work with all these different groups. And again, not being the smartest guy in the world, but being able to perform it, speak to groups and do like it. Again, I never thought it would be me. Yeah. It never was me. And so, It's, I've always been open to wanting to give, worried that I'm going to get burnt and things stolen and you know, stuff always gets stolen. And I was always fearful to be very candid of, you know, I I was broke. I had the worst credit score after I went bankrupt. And so now I had to build this all back up and I had all this knowledge, but I couldn't, I could not stop. It kept penetrating my brain that I can't stop being who I was supposed to be. Like I had to give and do and trust and, and be selfless and good things will come and good yeah. things will come. And so, you know, again, you, you look at mentors in a lot of ways, like, you know, you look back and say, what if you weren't open-minded? What if you were just closed doors? What if we never built this relationship? What if you just said, I don't need to talk to Bobby Cleal.' I don't know if I would have ever even came down if I felt the negativity to meet you and John then. Yeah. You see what I mean? Like, and then that could have been a closed door, uh, a path that was never open where the more brain power that, and, Energy, you know, your guys's brain power, my energy maybe, and you know, the combination. But look what it could help do for others out there, you know. But then add, let's say you add them now, you add a market's brain to it with a different style, years of experience, scars from good business, bad business, athletes' issues. But what if we take some of your clients that you know, and John's clients who are smart, and the people you work with now, and this combined knowledge? If, if we're not open, how do you learn it? How do you do it again? Do I, do I think there's some scumbag, weak-minded, internet, uh, Instagram follower, people who don't get me started. You know yep. what I mean? That, that haven't earned the right to, to, you know, call them who they are. But I can't focus on that anymore. That's negative energy. I'm on a mission with you guys to, to, to build this, you know, you know. Opportunities for people. I want to know more, right? Don't you? Don't you you want to learn what what you're doing wrong? I'm not making all the right decisions, man. But with people like you guys, where you want data, you want the facts. You don't. Let's see what's wrong. Let's let's respect what's right. Let's see where we are, and let's try to continue to grow and learn from one another. That's how we need to be.
0: Well, we've no choice because the way our systems work and the way our internal network works is that we're only as good as our best efforts because we have athletes first and from Lou like Louie never developed a machine to make money he developed a machine to fix a problem right if it made money that was great but anyone who knew Louie if the business and everything burnt down the next day didn't care Jim's good we're all good right so like learning from that to where I'm putting athletes first and then everything should follow is the right way to do it right. and um That's why I'm very fortunate to have a Marcus, and I know he probably won't like me saying it, but he is the closest person I've seen to a Lou-esque figure. Not to the caliber of strength condition, but the way he looks and um, assesses, not critiques, assesses. And uh, having a person like that and having this core group of people where we can exchange information. right. And if your athletes get better, my athletes get better. It's phenomenal. Right. Everyone's getting better, right? Yeah. Um, to bring it back into where I started with one of my biggest, I would say, growing steps, but it was a failure initially of my judgment, which I've never, that has never repeated itself since. What are, what's one big failure you've learned from in terms of working with an athlete that you would uh, stop yourself from doing now?
1: If if I don't have a common ground with that person, I don't need to work with them. If they're not gonna give me the the Jessica Sean Porter Stepe type of mindset, the Connie Waxman approach to life and living, knowing that they're blessed to be in this sport, to want to get to the highest level, if you don't have the commitment, I don't I can't do it. I don't have the energy anymore to do it like that. Yeah. Because I have so much I want to give, but if I, if I'm giving, giving and it's just getting wasted and spilled out, no way,
0: so. My mind changed towards what you're saying is that I would rather work with an athlete for being the athlete than for the money. And when that changed, my whole perspective changed because then I became very honest yeah, and the more honest I became with the athlete, actually, the better. Right, the relationship. Same way. But I was so afraid to go. I need money to come in, and then you don't want to take that step. But thankfully, we have we had a hell of a group of athletes that came in that would let you know their mind straight away, and it was like a, a bunch of misfits. And Harold over there was one of them. <laughs> but there was a, a sharing of shit-talking information that goes, oh, this is the way to do it. Um, when did you, when did that pivot happen for you?
1: It happened when I realized that when, when, when Connie got sick and Mary, and I realized like, you know, and all these people were losing their businesses and, and, and people were miserable. It, I realized like, you know, it was then it it was because you're, you have to tell people to to fight in with their biggest fears happening in front of them, but then you get an athlete who's so gifted and blessed, and yet they don't want to give to the level that you know they should. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was roughly around that time. It was a new making of me, but I said like it was the rebirth of what was to come. You know what I mean? You know, of what I wanted to mold myself to be. And and one of the things that kept disgusting me at that time was I would I was lessening myself for the money you have a family right you Mm want to you you you, want to build a nest egg again starting out in personal training is not the most luxurious you know you're not going to get loaded with money from that when you're begging and pleading to get a couple clients a few days a week but you get these athletes that are not superstars always made of money yet you know you see some of them giving everything they got and then you see some of these superstars who you know Their egos, their heads don't fit through the door, but somehow they squeeze in and then, you know, but they're not gonna buy in. I can't do it anymore. I I, screw the money part of it. It mauls me. And then if I fail, then what's a failure? You know, he fires me, then I look bad in the public eye because we had a philosophical difference when it does, I I don't, you don't need the negative press or energy. You just don't. And the the money part, I respect it more than anything, more Mm -hmm. than anything. However, the price you pay sometimes, and, and what you become and what you do is like, you gotta ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth that aggravation? When you can train some little kids who are gonna absorb every bit of energy yeah. and love every bit that you're doing with them and and, and do things that they don't realize, they're playing games in a way that, you know they're just happy to be doing something and they don't realize it's helping their body and then they grow and they follow your philosophy all the way up, man, like it's different.
0: I'm not sure if it has changed now. I don't think it has. But there was never any part of college that taught me value. Like, what is your value and how to charge working with an athlete? Ad- like, of working with an athlete, you usually, this is your internship, this is your job, this is what the salary is. Right. Then you move into the private sector. We're like, well, what do you charge? What's right. everyone charging? And then when well, I spent all this money in my education, like, how am I going to get that back? Right. And then you go through the whole... It's a layer of cake. You're at the bottom yeah, and you're eating crap and you're training everyone because you need to make money. Right. Then what do you do with that money? Yeah. Then it comes to a point of, well, how important is my mental health? When it like, turns out like it's pretty important. Right. And then you start figuring it out the hard way, but some have never figured it out. But I think that's a big open area that needs to be filled from an education standpoint, especially if you want to invest to go to college, which I, I won't say I'm as convinced now is the best option for strength and conditioning. I always thought it should be a trade that you need part college but part practical. Like that's that's the approach for it. But for us to get a head start, I think
1: it could go down there. Right? I think yeah, it's going. I, I think it should. It's great.
0: But to teach us like money, how does yeah. it work within the industry? How should you set yourself up? When can you get to the point where you don't have to, once they be dishonest, but not be as open for the sake of dollars to where, like, okay, now I'm in a position to where I can try this, see where it goes. These are all steps that, I mean, Louis let me make every mistake known to man. And right. then it's like, of course it wasn't going to work. Right. But um, give me the security of where I worked here. But I'm like, wow, if I was didn't have here, didn't have this network of coaches and people, Well, I might be either a strength conditioning coach, which is a lot of them don't make money. Maybe we're making $20,000 a year starting off and then trying to go to the private sector and charging someone $20 an hour. Right. Well, if we had the heads up, like, here's actually how you charge. Never thought. Here's here's kind of the process of you're five years in. Well, now you got five years of experience. Well, what's that multiplier? Right. And um, we naturally got from, from trial and error and to where, yeah, we have a nest egg that allows us. Like, it's a, like, it is a privileged position to go, hey, we get to work with these athletes. We get to turn down athletes, which is, I never thought that would be right. a thing. And then we had to pivot out of our industry. These are all things we learned naturally. Well, not, I say not naturally, but I learned through my mentorship. You learned through your life experience. Right. But can you imagine if you got that in your last year of college? No, it's, it's a,
1: it, it, I hope there's some collegiate or and college professors listening because it's. if you think about that, that's pretty genius. You know, you imagine... If there was a few classes, you, you know, that can help educate you on that whole, it's like a business degree in itself of learning how the world can go from, I, I made every mistake. Mm. I was charging pennies on the dollar to just get people in, you know? I didn't know where to go. Asking for a contract with a, an athlete, you know, you make it up at first, you know? <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, I just can think of some of the ones I put together, like it's, but it, I don't know though, to be honest, Tom, if I think about it now, like maybe when we were going to school, they didn't even have those answers. It, now they true. do though. Yeah. Now they do.
0: I mean, it would be it would be well worth it. Well, I go back to a trade and an electrician knows what they're going to charge mm-hmm. when they're, they go through trade school. And yeah. then to the caliber of apprentice, I know third year apprentices <laughs> that get paid a lot of money and that get paid the minimum, but there's a range and there's sure. a reason there's a range. And that comes back down to the actual... Delivery of education for strength conditioning, and hopefully it will change. I think it has to. Um, I think there's too much of blending over sports science, which I love sports science. Sure. But yeah. you're you're either in strength conditioning, learning and having sports science assessing, giving you back feedback, or you're in sports sciences. Like it's very hard when you're coming up to be this hodgepodge of things because you don't yeah. know what you want to be.
1: Right, and and to take it a step further, imagine like if they were to, like, and Wallace was an American College of Sports Medicine approach, philosophy. Yep. You know, uh, Cleveland State's, you know, when you're done, you're getting your CSCS. Different, different, you know, completely different philosophies in yep. some respects. You know what I mean? And so you, you almost wish like they had, they even taught courses in school, you know, for a semester. Here's this methodology. Here's this methodology. Yep. Here's this. Method- oh, now if you're certified in, as a strength and conditioning coach, and then you went and decided to do this, now i think what you could offer, like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was out of school. I was just thankful to be done. You know, I knew I loved the body and wanted to help and go and do I, I opened up my first little studio in my garage. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I started just training people. It was, you know, and then from there, you break it up. And if I could could have learned and had a guide, huh. It would have been yeah, right. It would have helped. Saves a lot of money.
0: Back to your role of director performance. You have staff. Yeah. How important it is for you to develop your staff? It's huge.
1: I, I've only have two staff employees right now. We're, uh, we're, we're working day and night, you know, right now as we build this out. Staff's critical. We know we're building a, a performance lab there. And so there's, we have like 85 technologies coming in there uh, that a group is bringing in and we're going to be their headquarters. And so we have to learn a yeah. lot. And so... But just from the, the, the basics, like tomorrow, we're having uh, progression, regression training going on so that I can start to educate them on some of the breakdowns. So think about this. This is our first time working together, and we're in season for our sports right now, basketball being the main one, men's and women's in our postgrads, and swimming uh, all this time of the year. This is in our indoor track and field. And so in our wrestling, I'm seeing different injuries. Different breakdowns, with a blanket program with their correctives in between. Again, a basic program, correctives in between with some agility, quickness, and reaction work, and we're now modifying. Yeah, we have difference of opinions. I found out on, uh, and so I'm learning. You have to have a philosophical agreement amongst one another to to be this fine, you know, uh, tuned machine, and why it's so important is because when these breakdowns happen, as they are now, people getting injured, you know, wear and tear on the body, whatever it may be, you know, when they're coming back, I wanna know that if I'm leaving, you know, my head strength coach with, you know, so-and-so to get, you know, fixed today, what's he gonna modify the workout to? I wanna not, I wanna not have to worry about that. It should be automated. So it's critical. It's critical for a staff because think about all the strength coaches that come in, that come from, again, Mm -hmm. Let's say you come, I come from Ball and walls and ACSM approach. You know, you come from this place, the NSCA. Great philosophy, great approach. You know, how do you know we're going to agree? You know, you want to do deadlifting. I want to do rear foot elevated. They pretty much achieve a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. You know, like you got to be on one accord.
0: That's a good point. Um, and i like to ask this to coaches about exercises. Mm-hmm. Do you see them as exercises or do you just... Like I know coaches who get so jazzed up about exercises. When well, I got this one, I got that one. To me, I'm more excited about assessing getting the weakness and finding the tool. Two. Do you treat exercises as tools or do you have specific diehards that has to be this one over that one?
1: I do some. I but uh I don't not necessarily saying I'm right. I am a I'm very much a unilateral leg movement guy I, I I prefer a lunge, a rear foot I keep using the example of this rear foot but I, I because I'm so I worried about the different shapes and sizes that I have that are coming in now and all over the country, all over the world who some good experience with lifting, some not I I I, I like to know that I can get the most gain out of a, an exercise with not as much worrying to do yeah. And so I'm more of this, that may be one of them, you know, I'm always a rotation guy type, you know, so I always have to have some sort of a rotation in there, Uh, but no particular one, you know what I mean? No particular one, but if I had to say bilateral versus, you know, I would, that's my answer,
0: unilateral. Do you take injuries personally?
1: Big time, to a degree. Because of some coaching and philosophical differences with the sport coach.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I I take it personally, but then I also have a problem with negligence on their part. Mm -hmm. And then I ask myself, well, is it my fault as a coach because I didn't force them to do the recovery better or do more mobility and stability? Did I allow them because of their attitude today and their ego that they came in here with because they did so bad the night before? I let them off a little bit. That's, it's, it's, it's bad decision-making on my part. You know what I mean? And so then I worry, well, is it my fault? You know what I mean? Is part of that my fault? Where am I at? Or is it, and I have to control my mindset too when it comes to it's their fault I kept telling them I knew it was coming we kept talking about it they refuse to do their correctives they think they're bullshit you know what I mean I don't need them it's a waste of my time Ba blah blah you know and so I take them personally I, for, from those from both of those respects.
0: Do you have a hard time building rapport with sports coaches?
1: No I'm pretty blessed yeah. because I'm I carry a pretty good energy. <laughs> it's hard for them to argue my background. Because I, and I'm always trial by error. proof. let me show you what I believe in. Let me do it. I'm I'm not, I don't, like, when I went to the hostage rescue team the first time, there was five other Bobby Khalil's in there. I wasn't, you know, but I went up and showed him everything and left it all on the table. And I was blessed to get the job. Yeah. You know, like, but I have to live by that. Or I will, I won't give, I won't give, I won't, I won't be Bobby Khalil, you know. Sometimes does it backfire? Sometimes do I have problems? Sure, of course I do, you know, but... It's hard for it's hard for a coach to argue something when you come there with pros and cons and you weight them a lot. And I try to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I try to look at the pros and cons for everything. And I'm open-minded to being wrong. I love if I'm wrong and then as long as they don't throw it down my face and, and, and beat me in the ground with it, yep. you know, I'm okay with it. I don't begrudge them or break them down if they're wrong, you know. But, you know, you get I get along pretty well with coaches because I like to prove myself. So, like, every day at Spire, I'm there at 6. The first group comes in at 6.45. So I'm there first. They see me working out. They know I'm putting it in. And it's, they need to see that. So I think it earns a little respect, I think, that way.
0: Do you still carry athletes' losses as heavy now than when you started?
1: No. I, I carry the loss if I think I was a reason for the loss. If I know now that I gave what I could uh, and it was out of my hands. What am I gonna do? It's it's, it's It was meant to be, it was, yeah. you know, whatever. Back then, <laughs> right? Yeah. You mature though, right? With everything else, you mature, you know? Now, do I take losses, you know, bad? It, it, again, if I was a part of it, yeah, it's bad. I beat myself up. There's not a lot of things I can dwell on because of my attention, you know? <laughs> but I freaking, that will eat me alive,
0: yeah. Um, What helps you shift that fact?
1: Prayer and worship. Prayer and worship is my, you know, I got to get my mind right. I got to get my demons out every day. I got to, it it, it is because I'm human Mm -hmm. and I tell myself and I'm doing the best I can. I try every day. I'm open. I'm selfless. I give, you know what I mean? And I work hard. So, you know, I got to let it go. So, but then you also got to be honest with yourself too. If you were lazy. Yeah, Got to be honest with yourself. If you didn't really do the homework, you should have. If I don't watch the film, you know what I mean, the way I should have, but I pretend I do. You know what I mean? Or I, you know, or I, or I failed to make sure they're doing some of their extras that they should do. So, you know, you got to be open and honest with yourself. It's hard to, but you need to.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, again, it's another thing you learn from experience. You had prayer and worship. I had Matt Brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He, um, <laughs> it, like, hands down, one of the most influential athletes I worked with. But we all came back after a loss. And he's like, why the fuck are you so upset? Like, the whole room was just... Right. And um, he was like, we get the fight again. And, like, there's nothing. It was just... Because in that game, it's... No, no matter what happens, it's 50-50. No, no. You're, you're one puncher's chance away from it. anything happening. But I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good point. Like, but was, right... But then... You weren't looking at it yeah. that way, though. No, no, no. Everything was like to where I think when you're in what we do, the level that we do it, we get as involved. We probably shouldn't. Oh. We, we get more involved in every aspect because it's, it's way... Sometimes it'd be easier if we just got the shipping out of us, and they're fine over there. Because you just—that's just the way you see. It. You're like this because you get personally right. Yeah. You forget the business.
1: It's almost like you're building your resume in front of, in real time.
0: Yeah. Well, and to a lot of people, will judge big time the, And like, well, this guy was out of shape. you, yeah. I,
1: time, you know, you know, I, you, I, I was lucky that Steve A had the mindset he did, and Jessica and, and Sean and them—they always made through their fights. You know what I mean in that way. And it was because of their commitment. Just think if they didn't though. Oh. you know how many times you see it? They were out of shape. It was ridiculous. Horrible weight cutter, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, that's me. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> call yourself the
0: performance coach
1: mentally, physically, emotionally,
0: nutritionally, I can you're show like, you <laughs> subjective data. People are like, yeah. I'm not, yeah, <laughs> yeah not, right. not not gonna look at that. Yeah. Um I'm Trying to think where else.
1: Let me ask you this. You know, where you see where do you see technology going? And, and where do you see the 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 balance of from, you know, you see so much nowadays from how would you weight the warm up, the mobility, stability, those type of corrective stuff, the GPP stuff in the, in the beginning of your, versus the strength and power output type of it. From when you started to today, you know, where are you seeing, you know, the world and the evolution and, and how much should be truly put into, you know, programs, you know?
0: Technology used to worry me a lot in that I trust the technology. I didn't trust the person behind the technology. I didn't trust the person who was using it um, because there was such room for contamination. That's pretty much obsolete now. Technology become a lot more accurate. However, I'm a slow adopter to it because we have a method and we have our own basic tool set of technology that's given us accurate data, um, but I'm seeing more and more where it comes into play. And to give you a very basic example, I hated the concept of a whoop, mm-hmm. even though i got one in my arm right now. Right. I hated the concept of it until I understood it. And then I realized, oh, I just hated that I had to learn something different. Right. they so out of the, the norm. And now I've got, an ob- I, no matter what, how accurate it is, it's going to be accurate to the pre and post, right? So if it's wildly off, once it's the same amount of off and post, we have data. Right. So that's pretty objective. Now I have a strain level. Now understanding a strain level helps me dictate training density even mm. better. And I'm getting better results in a faster time. There you go. And I'm like, okay, so kind there's definitely efficient. something, yeah. And it's, we're getting into a world of efficiency. Right. And we've always said, train as often as necessary, not as often as possible. Right. So what happens if you get to train less, get the same or more results out of it, and then well, what do you do that spare time back to skill? You learn more skill. Right. And I'm like, okay, this is where technology can step in and help. I see it more as a objective guide or an, not even a guide an objective feedback loop sure that's telling me that's you're doing something right you're doing something wrong where i right now until i can fathom it more and i'm not an expert in any shape right. way or form i want to use it as a objective measure that will help me assess when i do recap and how everything is going So when I do some reflection time of training, have my subjective, have my objective, and that's where technology comes in. Yeah. I do think we're going to get into a point where sports science, in some, is going to take a a more of a significant role yeah. in the, the data optimization. But at the end of the day, I still, I can't see it where it will totally take over, if that makes sense. Right, sure. it might be just It's... Um, you're still going to need the fundamentals of uh, adaptable programming, adaptable feedback loops to, to get most out of the athletes. You're still going to need weights. You're still going to need 100%. all these old school methods with new school feedback loops. That's how I see it going efficiently. Um, but with what you are doing with the speed of, I remember when Joel Jameson came out with HRV, yeah. kind of pioneered I can't remember what the Omega or whatever it was called. It was, people are like, what is this? And now HRV is mainstream. The amount of uh, journals coming out, right. HRV for long-term health benefits. Right. Um, you're like, oh, uh, five years ago, you're like, this. No. what is this? Right. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I guess it's a long-winded answer say, I don't know. I trust it more now as a feedback loop than I've ever done. I'm still not at the level of... I would trust myself to put in data sets and let that take care of training. Where like, where are you on it? Because you're very much in that.
1: I'm, I'm now into it, Yeah. And, but I don't understand it all. And, but to your point, it's forcing me to learn. And that was my sticking point was, do I have the brain power to learn? But I'm realizing now that if I put, if I put the ethics through the steps, it's the best way for me to learn then I see the data that's coming out. Then I could see, you know, where I was wrong and, or I could see where I was right or hoping for. And, but I think that it's still very new. I, th- I still think that it's a way to go. I, the big thing for me is I'm, I'm trying to balance, it's almost as if there's more injury now mm-hmm. than before. And, you know, where do you see the balance of the functional mobility work, the the, the internal versus the external versus the heavy strength training type mm-hmm. of work? Where do you see that balance of, you know? And again, are you someone I like to sprinkle it throughout? I'm that guy that sprinkles the movements throughout. You know, I do a basic warm up, I play some fun and games, mm-hmm. and then I th- incorporate the correctives throughout, in between the strength movements and stuff to kind of again the yin and the yang type you know what i mean i want to get you know uh, the strength or power movement out of it but i also want to get the small little muscle groups to to open up and to open up and to feel and to to propriocept you know and to to know that it's all working you know you know what is your approach and do you think that more trainers strength coaches because you have this mix you know of Mm -hmm. skill sets should move more to that type of joint integrity, mobility, stability type of work and or versus the strength and power.
0: I think even before that, everyone needs to more move to more accurate assessments. And then if you have an accurate assessment, it makes everything else you're doing so much easier. But what is an accurate assessment, okay. right? Right. Uh, initially was we would external measures, right? A lot of the the, the combine is external measures of strength. and mm-hmm. um, But if you look, if we start internally, and then you see where your joints are, and just to give context, normally it's a hip, any ball and socket, hip and shoulder, and then that creates your hierarchy of importance. If the joints are terrible, they get prime priority. So we mightn't even touch... Um, Wait, we haven't got that extreme a case, but it's a possibility that we'll just get the joints back to where we can actually train. Right. Um, so it comes down to the assessment. Then, if you have someone who assesses that they're in the spectrum of, just say you're seventy percent, you're okay. Now we can actually incorporate it. To me, it can be done at the start or at the end. It's different than your way. I'm not saying your way is right or mm-hmm. wrong because we're all getting the results at the end, right? Right. Um, But for me, in the way I run my setup is that it's either at the start is part of the warm up, part of the the cool down. Mm -hmm. And that's just with the external workout. They have to have a dedicated day to like so they they have to because I don't have athletes every day. Mm -hmm. But they have to do something. And this is stuff that all you need is a space that you can work out your joints internally. And this system wasn't developed by me. The, the system that I've been working on was with John Quinn. So John has really developed this internal strength model, which bases a lot of stuff coming from FRC, which is um, Dr. Yeah. Andrea Spina's work, mm-hmm. to where now we bridge it together and we have this system coming along. And listening to how you do it, you've got an interpretation of it already. You're yeah. just doing it in between work, which is very interesting to me. Um, and I think that comes down to preference. Sure. Because it's... Uh, our end goal, like no matter what system or philosophy you want, if you're training athletes, you want them to get better. Right. So that's common ground off the bat. You don't want injuries. You want them to get better. Right. So then how do we share this information? How do we get forward? Well, everyone needs joints. You need, right. like <laughs> you, you need accurate uh, access to these joints. And the strange thing with the body is it will make you believe you have a shoulder and it will make you believe you have a hip when you mightn't have any capacity right. in there. And then randomly you will tear your ACL or randomly your ankle will blow out or right. randomly you will get lower back pain. Right. Well, it's not random to us. Because of our assessment, we know that depending on how strong you are, what level of capacity you have in your joint and what is your sport, we can pretty accurately estimate what your risk of strength or, or injury is. Injury would be. And that goes back down to So to round it back up is... Get a training hierarchy based on assessment. Assessment is key then. Yeah. Assessment is everything. It's it's our job. It's it's your starting ground. It's it's your base. Especially when you work with... I don't work with high numbers of athletes. So I work between five and ten. So that allows me to do really accurate assessments. And usually I'll have them for eight weeks. So I have time. Yeah. When you get athletes that come in for two weeks, usually it's just going to be... General sleds and joints, because we make the biggest difference to joint training. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to get an accurate assessment and then figure it out where you can put it in. Um, but if you're not assessing correctly, then basically you're answering all the wrong questions. And you and a lot of people get into that like, well, I've answered that question correctly. You have, but you've asked the wrong question.
1: And so, and, and, and do you think like, you know, when you look at these kids, like you, youth, like, do you think, like, there's no difference, right? Why, not, why can't they go through the same, if not a similar assessment? Oh, they some, should. Right? Like, yeah. Like, so that you could start to create this, you know, so that you could follow them all. You got the consistency all the way up. It really shouldn't matter whether you're a child or whether you're a, an athlete or whether you're no. a corporate America person. Like, if you could do a basic assessment on someone and you could find this common ground or this base to start with, it should be able to create you get or give you that scale. Like you said, you're prone to a potential this you may not see it yeah you know but it also as a child you know this approach allows you to maybe steer them in a direction educate the parents that, isn't the yeah. key like you know you got you have so many of these dads that you know i was guilty of it you know even being a strength performance coach you know wanting my kid to you know get the extra and do all this and he's got to get stronger Well, all do respect i look at it a lot different though
0: you know what I mean? You want ass, you want to create assets. So if if I work with kids and I'm like really excited for to work with high school kids, is that to me my ultimate goal is to have coaches come back and go, all the kids that came through your system were assets. They were huge assets in the weight room to where they knew what they needed, they knew how to spot they knew how to create that culture because the weight room creates a culture right culture creates consistency then you insert training method if you have no culture you got no consistency right training right. methods don't matter, don't matter right so I, like that's why I, I go back down to high school coaches are the most important yeah. and we coaches. need more of them and some schools oh, don't
1: even have it; it's a joke
0: it's 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 aspect they have
1: these booster clubs that keep buying yeah. new jerseys
0: and stuff or but like yet they new, can't hire a strength coach or you have uh unbelievable weight rooms with no one to run it yeah but then there's an exception then you have Texas and Texas takes it super serious when yeah. it comes to high, especially high school football and we could learn a lot from the investments they make in there but you make assets of kids you're going to reduce concussion rates if you look sure. at the work of Mark uh, Sanovich, uh NFL strength coach left the NFL to focus on neck training to reduce concussions has a concussion protocol realized it's more important to do it at the high school level, sure. Because once you get your first one, then it's way easier. Yeah, so, so why not start here? I'm like, well, that's a great way to look at it. Why not start at the high school level? Yeah. Um, to me, that's that's the thrill going from high school going to collegiate because we we've worked with the athletes that are here. Sure. Yeah. They're 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 driven to an extent. There's a few of them that still chase perfection, even though they know it doesn't exist. They chase because they want to be the best they can be but a lot of them are already there. Mm-hmm. I said we could give them a BOSU ball, right? a, a, <laughs> a red band, and off they go Good, and they're yeah. phenomenal. But if we get these high school kids and we can teach them to be their own coaches, like the, it doesn't mean they need a, a friggin' degree. It means that they know how to train themselves. Sure. They know how to spot. They know how to motivate yeah. each other. They know, hey, why did you shift forward or back? Hey, your knees are coming. Give them simple tools. Yeah. Then if you go to a college weight room, you're going to be an asset to the coach. Oh. So you mightn't just be there to be a player, but now you're an asset to the team. And guess what? You can keep training and training and training yeah. as they're starting. And who knows where you'll end you're up. You're right.
1: Passing those people. And, and how many people do you know that were trained improperly the wrong way? And you think of their the athletic potential. They never even got close to ah. me achieving. And they could have been well, like these superstars.
0: Westside for years was like a last chance saloon. We would get all these athletes who came to us as their last chance. And I'm like, and they always say the same thing. I wish I came here we're, first. Yeah. Because we have a system. We have a method of hierarchy. And we we were led by a man who is willing to do absolutely Trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, fail succeed, boom, boom. And it's all about the, like, you can solve all the problems in the gym. And then that's where John and myself took that philosophy and like, we're in this box. The answers are all in this box. So if it's internal, if it's external, it's all in here. And so far it's been pretty accurate. Um, and how do we make it pretty accurate is we learn to ask the right question at the right time mm-hmm. and then we learn to keep asking questions so you have feedback loops weekly Yeah. so there's never right. any room for um, inaccurate data there's no long periods of time but we've got a very privileged setting in that we get them for long spans uh, we've had kids go we've had athletes go from the journey from high school mm-hmm. to pro levels so now we've got these long the 2 yeah. things and we've learned from pros to where media day obligations all these things throw training way off sure. to where again you're not taught in school right but it comes back down to the assessment we know where that's going to lie we know before fight camps or fighters post-testing what they have to focus on a fight camp so their post-testing leads into the eight-week fight camp then we're like hey if you just focus on these four things you will maintain your gains right right so that's all like to where we're a small cog you go refine your skill Go kick ass, come back. You're not gonna, you're not, you won't, you won't have gone backwards. Right. In fact, some of them because of the training carryover,
1: Go, get some gains. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Um, but I, I think it all comes back down to assessment. Right. And then you can plug in whatever you need because you're, no matter what your methods are, you're still answering the right questions. And um, then if you're getting the right answers, you have to do it on a weekly basis. You can't do it in a monthly. Right. So once you keep to that, then we'll all end up roughly at the same foundational methods. But that's that's what we have found. And it's if we get more into we have a way of training, not the way, it's a way of training, yeah. and then you have a way of training, we share notes, you're like, oh, I can take some of that, you can take some of this, right. your injury rate is way down, your success rate is way up, right. well, then we're successful. Right. And, um,
1: and, and if you can feed that to a parent to understand it for their kids, you know, a lot of times what happens is, you know, these – these people who are, again, I give them all the credit in the world, but yet some of their stuff comes across to, to hot, to high level. Parents won't understand. There's no, if you can help educate the child mm-hmm. and, and to where the, the, and as well as educate the parent on this basic assessment is giving us our answers. And this is what we have to follow. And from this assessment, we got these exercises, this staple, that at least you can feel comfortable with yeah. that, I think it's it also helps the parent, yeah, hugely Create a sigh of uh, a, a breath of fresh air, you know, in a way of like, okay, I think they're in good hands, you know, yeah. I think that you know and it, it, it even what it it'll level the playing field a little bit too. and and for those who don't have at least the greatest weight rooms, at least you now have a an assessment and a way to where you can help guide them, yeah, to what exercise they can do and stuff like that. And again, I just I think it's critical, and it's funny that you don't have all these high schools pushing for these strength coaches to come on in i think they don't know what to ask
0: mm-hmm. i think it's like it's I'm not giving them a, an easy out but i think high school's budget is constraints they um then sometimes parents are afraid and i can understand that really if i got to sit down with a parent i'm like we're teaching your child first of all they're safe right. every parent wants to know their child mm-hmm. is safe we're teaching them goal setting that's a big thing. Now they can set acro goals and achieve them. So that's success. We're teaching them to be part of community, which is what you want. Mm-hmm. And now they're part of a positive culture. That's the beauty of a weight room.
1: Right there alone is more than what like they're to, getting that in. just is
0: if, normal. If a byproduct has, you got a color scholarship, phenomenal. Right. If not, you now have a skill set that will carry over to anywhere.
1: But how about just you? You'll be able to take care of yourself the rest of your life.
0: Huge. I mean,
1: again, how many people you don't know that? You know, yeah. <laughs> and getting out of high
0: school. I could talk to you for hours, but time is against us. I have one last question to end on this, and hopefully this is the first of many conversations, Bobby. If you had one question to ask your dream guest, what would it be?
1: Huh. My dream guest.
0: Your dream interview, just say any athlete, coach, person what would be one bit of information you had one question to ask that we'd want to know that would make you better? I love finding
1: out what people would do differently uh, that either got them to the place they are at in their life or stopped them from getting to a place. I love to learn as much as possible from people's gains and their mistakes, not to disparage or anything, but to learn. Just to learn. That's it.
0: Where can they find more about Spire.
1: Right on the website, you know.
0: We'll put uh, link below Squire for you. Institute,
1: yep. It's, uh, we're growing it. It's different. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, I'll let you know. And, again, we're hoping to really to to make something so different with what we want to bring in here to help level the playing field. And I think we have an opportunity to stay neutral and do that. Bobby, thank you. I appreciate it. It was great.